Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. in the Feeling It Healing at a Diary of Recovery podcast. And today I'm actually not really sure how to do this. Incidentally, if you've never found yourself sitting in a closet on the floor with your back up against the wall because it's the only option you have to really truly feel like you have a little bit of privacy to just maybe vent your thoughts without, I don't know, scaring anybody around you or, I don't know, it's, um, it's funny, it was like the kind of thing where I was, I was walking around to try to figure out where to go to record this. And I walked into this uh, room that my sister's family usually uses when they stay at the at my parents' house. And I was going to go outside because they have a door out of their room. And I heard a dog barking outside. And I was like, you know, I know dogs barking in the background is nothing new for this show. But for some reason today, I just didn't feel like it was on my... Agenda of being able to deal with. And uh, so then I turned around and saw this closet and it was empty. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to go sit in the closet. That's kind of where I feel like I belong right now. Like something that should be packed up and put away and just left in the dark corner. <laughs> Before I go any further, I'm particularly catching, maybe this is a nudge from the universe, I'm seeing a post on my friend Sarah's Facebook that says, Doubting yourself is normal, letting it stop you is a choice. And so I guess to preface, I'm not in any way about to do an entire episode about how I'm done, how I've pretty much had enough, and I'm just going to give up. And, I don't know, see what happens if I don't get out of bed tomorrow, or see what happens if I just stop trying, because I'm not, I'm not there, I don't, you know, sometimes there's a part of your mind that knows that that's not even an option, that's not a possibility, but then emotionally, you're done. Because for the last two days I've been mulling over what I wanted to talk about in the next entry, 
And if anybody's following me on Medium, you'll be noticing that I've been posting compendium articles to the earlier entries of this podcast or this journal just to kind of get the show a little bit of um, reach on another platform, but also, and I guess maybe um, an effort to finding the productivity side of this for myself at this stage, because I think clearly, um, emotionally, I'm in a much different place seven months later, eight months later, whatever it is now, we're in November, so it's uh, yeah, eight months, no, not almost nine months later from when I first started recording these, um, about six months down the road from when they started getting released. Obviously, the emotional struggle is very different now. Um, that's not to say that there aren't still heartache issues that come to the surface for me probably I would say safely still daily not to the extent or the impact level of impact that they used to but they definitely well maybe not daily not all the time but when they do it usually is for a couple days at a time the emotional um, struggle now is the sort of okay you've healed a bit or at least you're mentally processing more now in at day 339 of sobriety um the um emotional uh, i don't know heartbreak that was crippling the sort of pain that was making it hard to see that there was work I still needed to do in order to be able to get my life back in order. And now you're, now I'm in the midst of the doing the work to get my life back in order, but it's like a whole new level of rejection. Um, almost what I would describe as wholesale rejection that is now having me question my identity in a different way. And so I was going to call this being this episode Life in Limbo because that's what it's felt like since I got down here and have been staying with my parents is um, kind of like these constant spurts of throwing a bunch of resumes out in the world, making some contacts. In fact, there's one I have to respond to on LinkedIn that I, I'm glad I suddenly remembered to do. Um, and even reaching out to friends and saying, Hey, look, you know, I'm in a bad way. I don't know if I've made anyone really aware of, of what my situation is and, and what areas I need help in. And I think it's a little bit easier for me now to at least come up and say, Hey, I need help on the job front. And I'm not asking anybody to help me figure out how to not be heartbroken, uh, mostly because I'm not focused on being heartbroken anymore. But yeah, it, it is. It is, I guess, in some ways, a little eye-opening. It's a little sort of learning some knowledge about myself that so much of my self-identity is tied to occupation or tied to the feeling of being lost by not having one. And so 
And that's not to say I don't, I mean, I still, I, like right now, I have at least another couple hours of work today I'm going to do for one of my freelance clients because the projects they have me on now are pretty complicated. And so there's that, and that's been keeping my head above water. I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful for those things. And I think, to be honest, for details I have yet to reveal, but will be coming momentarily... When I first fully committed to the decision to record this today, my plan was to come in really sort of hot because I've got a sort of double whack of disappointment <laughs> within the last hour <laughs> to the point where if I was in my own place and had a bottle of anything to drink I would probably be drunk as fuck right now and I I, I I can strongly admit that if I had it on hand there's a very good chance I would be stoned right now and I don't mean to sound like I'm being hyperbolic I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to play a victim card but I'm pretty pissed off I've been able to deep breath myself back from the level of pissed off. I can't I was I was prepared to just get in here and really potentially put things out into the universe that would continue to block me from progressing in this job search. And I guess in some ways there's a part of me that wants to say fuck it and be real specific about I mean, it's very clear, I think, anybody who's been listening to the last few episodes, I did not get that job that I interviewed three times for. And I feel like it was probably safe to assume that in the last two weeks that I hadn't heard from them after getting three interviews back to back to back within like two weeks. But it still really pissed me off because I get this email that basically says... They filled one position and they're still interviewing for the other, but they're moving forward with other candidates whose background and skills align more with what they're looking for. Now, to me, that's total bullshit because if that were the case, I wouldn't have gotten even through the screening interview, uh, the first interview, and then the second interview. There's clearly something that happened in the third interview in the conversation with a person who was 20 minutes late to that interview, which doesn't speak highly of them, in my opinion, that turned them off to me. And I really is becoming one of these things where I feel like there's an, there's a cruelty in the way this process works. And I understand the reluctance of companies to be specific because it could open them up to liable uh, liability of uh, a lawsuit because I imagine there's a certain level of it that has to come down to something that could be taken as discriminatory. And obviously I am kind of blabbering a little bit right now, so I'm going to cop to that. I'm doing what I five seconds ago said I wasn't going to do. But I'm doing it as a lead-up to... One of the ways that I'm able to not let this completely stop me in my tracks, though I did feel like I was very close to 
what I was hanging some of this sort of hope of salvation on is to really look at it in terms of if it was for me, it would have happened. If I was, if it was where I was supposed to be, then I would have gotten it. And um, there is definitely a spiritual side that is growing to this journey that I'm on. And I'm recording this on a Monday, the Monday of Thanksgiving week, actually. And after speaking to a really good friend from college, who was sort of my best friend from college and, and has continued to be a friend in these later years of adulthood, where we not only talked about some possible strategies for me as far as potentially uh, looking for jobs, but we also were talking about, you know, some religious stuff. He's far more religious than I am, but... Um, I, I, there's, you know, for me, there's a bit of a growing interest. I'm not, you know, and I feel like there's something that is at least a little bit more natural about questioning when you're just sort of looking at the world. I feel like it's a little bit less honest when you're somebody who maybe was like a murderer in prison who's killed hundreds of people and now on death row suddenly finds their religion and is begging for forgiveness. I'm more in the camp of wanting to understand how and why things happen the way they do and if there are grander plans, um, which I kind of feel like there's a certain level of comfort in thinking that maybe there are. But in any case, I've already, you know, I've been talking a lot about the sort of like idea of vibrational frequencies in the universe and trying to raise mine so that I'm in a better version of the world, <laughs> a version where I belong. I kind of have to look at this development as... Even though um, financially I am looking for relief and maybe it would have been enough at first to be getting that part squared away, there has to be something about this um, position, maybe even the company, or maybe the rest of the people on the team. How do I know? I gotta say, I'm not impressed by somebody who is 20 minutes late to an interview and then turns around and ends the progression of the candidate without giving any indication during the interview that anything was sort of awry. <laughs> and that's, I think that's that's where the initial sort of flustered, confused, disappointed response comes from is like, you know what, the vibe was there, at least for sure with the first two people I spoke to. And if it wasn't 100% there with the third person, I refuse to believe that I'm not qualified for the job. I know for a fact I am. And that's why I feel like I would have a lot more respect if they were like, yeah, man, we found your podcast about being heartbroken and that made us feel like you're unstable. All right, cool. I'll stop doing the podcast. Maybe that's the whole reason I'm not getting jobs from anybody else. You know what I mean? Like the fact that they just kind of leave you in limbo with these safe responses of, oh, we're looking for people who's background better aligns with what we're looking for okay it's funny that the first person didn't say that to or about me and that the second person didn't say that to or about me and the third person whether they were thinking that or not didn't indicate that to me so you know it would be nice to know if there's something that's coming up out there that the world is seeing and is like going no <laughs> without me having to 
you know, default to thinking it's because I'm in my early 40s and I'm Caucasian and I'm straight. Um, I'm the least popular demographic to be getting hired these days, you know. And that somehow because of all those things that I have zero control over, I should not be allowed to earn a living at the level that my uh, skills and experience command. Um, and I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir right now. I'm maybe being a little bit of a victim. I'm just saying behind every single resume is a person who, regardless of whether or not they have a family to support or they just have their own lives to get on track or family, maybe how about a family they don't want to burden with, uh, having to rely on so heavily. Um, and it just feels like it's a really, it's getting tough to, it's getting tough to feel this, this level of rejection. It's getting tough to not let that growing sense of doubt. I mean, if I even slightly suffered from imposter syndrome before, I am fully in the throes of feeling like, well, am I actually not good at this? You know, um, the second rejection was from a referral that a podcasting friend, one of their clients, knows somebody who is in who's been searching for a video person to help them uh, with some ideas they had for some videos that might enhance their business. Um, it's in the medical field, and they were thinking about doing like a one short video that was sort of a presentation type video and then maybe a series of videos on YouTube and starting a YouTube channel. And so I emailed them and said, hi, you know, they re I gave my contact info, was passed along. This person reached out to me and said, hey, I got your info and I've been looking for somebody to help me with video. And so far, the folks I've been, um, you know, consulting with, it hasn't really worked out. It's been a little bit of a disappointing process for me. This is what I want to do. And I responded and said, hey, I, you know, read your email. Sounds good. I think we should jump on a call to discuss possibilities. You're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. I've done that before. It's not a, not shouldn't be any reason to not be able to do something. And then I said, I'm attaching my resume, my portfolio, and I'm linking my YouTube channel and my LinkedIn page. And let me know I have time, you know, this week before the holiday. And their email, as much as it was an email saying, yeah, thanks, I guess this isn't going to be the right move for me right now, was, um, it was interesting because they said, you know, uh, thank you for your thoughtful reply. I had a blast checking out some of your videos last night. Um, that said, I think that you're overqualified for what I need and I'm underfunded for what I'm trying to do. You know, even just to do something for five minutes would probably not cost less than $400 you know, uh, working with you. And I feel like your skills are worth more than that. So thanks. <laughs> and it's sort of like, holy crap, you know, that's the nicest rejection I've got yet. I've gotten yet. And at least it was honest. And you're telling me what's not happening, you know, what's where the disconnect and the mismatch is. And so I'm less upset about that one than I am about the other one, because the other one was, 
you know, all the tumblers are lining up in the lock. It's a friend passed my info along and then they reached out to me. And after talking to the first person, they were like, oh, wow, you sound great, blah, blah, blah. And we put you in touch with the person you would be reporting to. And then I talked to them and they're like, oh, man, this has been a pleasure. You sound great here. I think you should talk to one other person and then maybe we'll have you talk to my boss. And then that other person who I wouldn't even be reporting to is clearly where whatever happened happened. And it's just rough, man, when you we feel like you're close and then like like I've been saying, and maybe I'm manifesting this. And and to kind of get back to where I started to go tangentially with bringing up my friend from college. After we were speaking over the weekend on Sunday, he forwarded me a link to a live um, webcast of a pastor giving his sermon to, I guess, like a mega church. Um, And so much of what he was talking about spoke directly to things my friend and I were talking about over the weekend. And a lot of it was around how do you remain sane in a world that seems like it's going steadily more and more insane and then um it got to the point where he was talking about have you instead of looking at all these negatives have you taken account of the things and the ways in which you are blessed you know now i'm I'm saying all this with a, a caveat of there's obviously it was a preacher giving a sermon it was a non-denominational church but it was still a church preaching Christianity, right? So um, for anybody who's listening who may feel uh, that's not the realm in which they <laughs> they roam, I, I apologize, but I feel like I'm just using these things to illustrate sort of where, where I'm coming from and how even just having listened to this thing, which I did find very moving. I mean, it, it almost... And not almost, it did make me feel more like maybe that's an area that's been a blind spot in my life that shouldn't have been, or maybe maybe now is the time where it should no longer be. Because when it got to the point where he was asking, you know, have you, have you realized the things that you have in your life that you should be thankful for? And I thought it was ironic that I had a month ago started keeping a daily gratitude journal because this is now... Uh, a friend of mine had also said, you know, I, I get that you're doing these manifestation techniques and you're writing down the things that you're trying to manifest. You know, you're doing the three, six, nine method that, you know, the whole thing with Tesla where you do it three times in the morning, three times in the middle of the day and three times and uh, six times in the middle of the day and nine times at night. And that's supposed to help align and be getting your energies on the right frequencies and whatnot. But she goes, you know, you should come to it from a place of gratitude. And my sister has said this to me in the past as well, that, you know, do you wake up and realize all the things you have to be thankful for? But for some reason, hearing this guy talk about it and also talking about, you know, the idea that if there are other forces in the world and there are things that might have skin in the game to be trying to get you to where you belong, where you're supposed to be, where you're meant to be, like on the path of your destiny, as opposed to, you know, taking whatever circumstances are around you and making them work. You know, there's, there's like the, there's a couple things at play. And so after walking around 
very angry for at least half an hour before really taking a breath and calming down, making myself some more coffee and thinking about going outside to have this conversation with the tape recorder. These reframes started to come to the surface for me. I think it's like the initial anger was at the rejection and the sort of cowardice of the rejection. But that comes from a place um, that what the pastor referred to as where the enemy operates, right? So for the for the good, benevolent God side of things, there's also the antithesis and the, the enemy side and the things that sort of the tools that the enemy will use to keep you from being at peace, to keep you from hanging on to your sanity and to keep you from being on the right path include things like disgruntled grumbling, feeling like you're a victim, comparing yourself to other people instead of living your life, um, you know, like living your life for yourself and understanding that we all have our own unique journey in the world. And the idea, too, of hanging your happiness on something next versus living and, and breathing in the moment that is now. And that's sort of a concept that I've discussed before that I, even my therapists, when I was still seeing a therapist, I haven't seen them for a few months now, um, said is, you know, you're living too much in the past and you're worrying too much about the future and you're missing what's going on now. <laughs> and, you know, what you have is now. The past is over. The past is not happening anymore. This is also something that's very big in landmark training, uh, which I've mentioned a few times as something that um, I've gone through uh, much at the uh, behest and um, joy of the rest of my family who had already gone through the training, but it's putting down the baggage and living now and doing the work that you have before you now and I feel like for me, and, and you know, and this, this pastor was saying, you know, we're always saying to ourselves, I'll be happy when, you know, I'll be happy when I get this job, or I'll be happy when I get the new house, or I'll be happy, um, you know, when I win the lottery, whatever it is, we're hanging our happiness on. And then you get to those things and it's like, okay, well, now I'm here and I'm still not happy. And so... One of the things I have been struggling with this and this and this feeling of, of living in limbo is what is it that I really what is it that will make me happy? Is it okay to feel happy at all right now? Because I gotta say I feel like I don't deserve to feel happy at all. I don't deserve to have time where I'm relaxing or watching a movie or um, ordering DoorDash, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't deserve when I'm in a financial sort of corner uh, enough to the point where I'm like staying with my folks and trying to build up a little bit of money to then get back out again somewhere or wherever maybe I can afford to go. Like, what is it that I ultimately want? And... I think one of the things I struggle with in sort of looking back over 
the last, say, decade of my life is that for more of it than not, I haven't really felt like my own fully formed, true adult person. Uh, I lived at home for a couple years after I came back from college, and then I moved out for a few years and was living in an apartment with a friend. And that whole time, you know, I still had, I had credit card debt, but, you know, looking back, I had it pretty good. We had, you know, our own place. We had internet. I was able to kind of spend time writing and had my own bathroom. You know what I mean? It was like, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> I certainly miss it. But then once, you know, at that point, then my friend and I sort of had a little bit of a separating of ways, almost a falling out that we still have yet to, we're back in touch now. We, we still have yet to really address what happened there. But, um, after that happened, I moved back with my folks and I think I was there for maybe two and a half years before I met my next girlfriend who, I don't know, maybe about eight months to a year after we started seeing each other, we decided to get an apartment together. And then we lived together for about four years. So, all right, that's eight out of, I don't know, 33, <laughs> 34 years at that time. And then when we broke up, I stayed in the apartment for another two years. Okay, maybe that's 10. So maybe like a quarter of my life um, before I then moved back in with my folks for another two years and then put all the eggs in the basket and moved to Virginia and then I was down there for two years. So in the 43 years I've been walking this earth, nearing 44, I'm less than a month away from 44, uh, a quarter of it has been semi on my own. Not 100%, not without help from roommates or whatever. Although I guess I should count the last two years that I was in New Jersey. I guess, I don't know, maybe my math's a little off. But it was around a quarter. Whereas growing up, I guess looking first at my parents, um, you know, granted they were married, so it's not like either one of them was doing it by themselves. But then even after my dad, well, I guess after my dad moved out, there was sort of like child support. So I don't know. I guess here. So right here, right here. It's happening live in front of you guys right now. Comparing yourself to others <laughs> is, a, is a tool of the enemy. <laughs> and you can hear how until I realized just now that I was doing it, how much pressure it adds, like this sort of internalized turmoil and while at the same time I think it's pretty natural to sort of need models or, or to have a, a structure to model your approach in your life around or on it has to be kept in the perspective of that's that's what it is though. It's a model. It's not just because that's what they went through doesn't mean you are meant to go through it exactly the same way. That or that that's your path as well. So I'm obviously in in a bit of a new place with how impactful that message was watching this preacher uh, yesterday and trying to 
reframe the way I react to and am looking at life for myself. I mean, one of the things I am grateful for and that I put in my gratitude journal every day is this time that I get to spend with my family. Um, I think one of the stories or one of the things that I feel like is a sort of archetype in the world lately, especially people my age and older who um, talk about what it was like losing their parents or losing anybody from their life is the most common thing as you always hear is that they didn't get to spend as much time as they would have liked with them. You know, no one on their deathbed says, man, I spent way too much time with my family and the people that I love. And I wish I had spent more time at work. It's the complete opposite. So for me, I think there's a certain amount of me holding myself to a standard that was subconsciously set in my mind during my younger life, my adolescence into early adulthood into adulthood that, and it's still, it's something that you, you hear an awful lot, you know, when people talk about the dating world and that living on your own and having a good job or qualities people look in, look for in a, in a partner in a mate. In fact, it's funny. There are these folks who I think are doing good things. I think they're spreading good messages, but, um, Teal Swan is one of these, uh, um, sort of gurus of life. And she talks about relationship dynamics. And there was a, short piece that I um, saw from her in on YouTube, like in the YouTube shorts, I got caught in a real bad doom scroll last night for like an hour <laughs> when I was supposed to be getting ready to go to sleep and get a good night's sleep. I wound up doom scrolling um, <laughs> on YouTube for like, I don't know, like an hour watching shorts from various creators. And one of her things said, you know, I'm going to tell you this, and probably a lot of people aren't going to like hearing it, but when you get people of a certain age who are single, um, usually it's for a fucking reason. Her exact words. They bleeped the F word, apparently, because, I don't know, <laughs> you can't say that anymore. Her freedom of speech is so abridged. Like, I mean, like, it's the funniest thing. If you watch YouTube, if you just go look around at, um, at some of the things being posted by folks on YouTube and how how much they self-censor censor now or how much they even if um, even if they have an uncensored version that you have to actually like pay for um, because then at least, you know, like cable TV, it can be the kind of thing where <laughs> if you're paying the premium, then you're okay with that level of content. They don't have to worry about offending you off or winding up... Um, being deplatformed uh, as a result of you being offended by something they say, but in a country founded on the principles of freedom and the free speech that we had been sort of evolving along for so long having, people are censoring everything, you know? Like, you can't talk about sexual assault and use those words anymore. You have to say S.A., because YouTube will deplatform you or YouTube will demonetize you when and and 
that's an area where an awful lot of people are making their money these days. It's an area I'm hoping might be a new kind of salvation for me to look forward to in a way to possibly bring in some money to be able to, um, to be able to, uh, you know, get, generate some revenue. <laughs> um, but I would have to be very careful whatever content I'm putting out there to try to do that. But in any case, very long tangent there. Um, <laughs> I was really struck by her saying, you know, a lot of the time if somebody's single and doesn't have kids by a certain age, there's a fucking reason. And she started to point and paint to like there's unresolved stuff from their childhood that makes them noncommittal. Um, and I felt like, I don't know that she meant to generalize as much as she did, but I felt like there was no place in her explanation for the situation I feel like I'm in where I took a big risk and it didn't work. I gambled and lost and lost in such a way and experienced such a circumstance that there is not, there's plenty of documentation from learned wise psychology professionals who say uh, it is not uncommon for somebody to be financially somewhat ruined and need to recover from and and that that kind of ruin can take years to recover from I think for me <laughs> seeing that I don't have my own place and don't have a great job right now or at least don't have enough clients with my freelance business to be considered really killing it and, and making enough on my own to survive which would necessitate me taking the steps necessary and this is I guess maybe where some of this new pressure is coming from because um, even before finding out that I didn't get this job which I still haven't mentioned to my parents yet because I just got this email today my mom said something to me like, you know, after the holidays, if you don't have anything lined up, you really are going to have to go, you know, start working at a restaurant or something just to kind of make sure you've got some cash coming in. Now, I don't, to their credit, I haven't shared with them how much I bring in from any of these clients, you know, that, um, you know, I have one invoice that's going to get paid this week that's over $2,600. I have another invoice that is out to the same client that'll be paid a couple weeks from now that's another $1,800. It's not like I'm not bringing in anything, but it's definitely not enough to live off of on my own with the cost of what just renting an apartment costs, at least in New Jersey where I had been living, even around here in Delaware where they are there aren't places that are affordable at that level they're you know looking on craigslist looking for rooms um which hasn't so far yielded the best of experiences so far and i did recently post on medium the letter that i <laughs> left for my last landlord when i moved out um which you know again grateful that i had my parents to be able to retreat to when that happened but part of me felt even when I was there that because I had made the decisions that put me there that I was, should have had to ride out staying there until I figured out another place to go to or got a job that paid enough for me to get my own apartment. Um, just kind of doing the surface math in my head. The challenge of having to stay there, though, would have been that they didn't have high-speed internet, which I did not know about until after I'd moved in. Had I known about it up front, clearly would have been a deal breaker because when you work at home, you need high-speed internet. And I do fault 
the homeowner slash overly neurotic, dangerously eccentric, um, narcissistic personality disorder homeowner slash living roommate <laughs> or living landlord slash roommate um, for not telling me that up front, knowing that in the outreach email I sent, I said I work from home. So that would that, but I try to tell myself or think to myself, maybe, maybe because I know there are people my age who don't have this option, who don't have their parents anymore, don't have anybody to run to and would have had to, I guess to me, I think to myself, what would I have done if I had to just sort of face that on my own? And maybe it would have been having to, you know, every day find a Starbucks or a diner or someplace that has Wi-Fi, um, you know, start paying for a VPN and uh, do my work from there or just do the editing from home and then take it out to a library or wherever and get online to just upload it to my clients. But it would have it would have impacted my ability to earn the money that I've been able to earn while staying here and working. So it's hard to say. I think at this point in time, I still would be floating above water. I would be, I would not be a hundred percent at zero flat broke. It would be less than ideal though, because of how much more expensive it was than the place I had been living for the last two years. And it's, you know, my former roommates and I, as much as I decried all the negatives about living with them, I at least was able to afford my own room and had developed a system for being able to share a bathroom with people who don't have the same standards of cleanliness that I do. And had I been able to stay there and continue in the way I was going for the last several months, the amount of money I made, I would have been okay. I would have maybe been able to be putting some enough aside to try to find something better. And who knows? Maybe I would have been able to meet somebody and start a new relationship that would have... I think there's this odd sort of circumstantial part of the dynamics now that people, once you're getting to a certain age, you don't want to fuck around too much. You know, if you like each other and things are going well it makes sense to maybe move in together, you know? Um, but again, I feel like that's a little bit of a slippery slope into the danger zone of, of winding up in another situation where I'm relying on somebody else. And so I feel like all of these things I've been looking at from the lens of, I really haven't grown up. And I'm very disappointed in myself for that being a fact. As a kid, I never expected to be at 43 still feeling like I'm a kid. And the reality is a pretty constant for me that the window to turn this around is closing relatively quick just from the perspective of age. Um... It's not unthinkable that I'm going to be working until the day I drop dead, but unless I make some serious headway in the next decade right now, starting right now, it's going to be a very difficult life, and I'm really scared of that. 
and I'm really heartbroken that I needed the smack in the face to wake up to it that losing everything in the way that I did has turned out to be. But even that, when I was talking to my buddy who had forwarded me the link after the sermon was over, we were sort of texting back and forth. And I said, you know, one of the things he was saying about the gratitude, I have to, in some ways, look at that way that all this unfolded and find that I needed, I mean, there, there is something to be said for being thankful for the lessons that it's teaching me and for the struggle that it's putting me through now to get on my feet. Because if for me, um, a true sense of fulfillment and living the truth of being an adult is having my own place, being on my own two feet, that relationship wasn't it allowing myself to be financially dependent on somebody else, allowing myself to be sort of a domesticated indentured servant (laughs) just to be able to live with uh, this person I had fallen in love with. I mean, the dynamic shifted so much once I moved that you start to really, at least for me, I start to really see a lot more clearly how misguided it was to think that we were as in love with each other as we felt like we were. And I think that's where, when I say that some of that heartbreak still comes up, there are things that I miss. There are things that I miss a lot, but they were all the things that were happening towards the beginning before there was the risk taken before I gave up my career and cashed out my retirement and all these things that I thought I was doing because I was being chivalrous and noble and realizing that it was all short-sighted and frivolous. And I think in the back of my mind, there was enough of a little voice going, hey, this could happen. And me having to force that down, I feel like there's a part of me that has the sense that I deserve to be struggling right now. I just think that at this point now, having moved to the point where I'm not crying about it so much anymore, not that I'm saying I don't cry about it. I definitely still do, but it's not taking over days. I don't, you know, I don't lose days lying in bed crying about it. I just really am shocked that having worked for as long as I did and having the body of work I have to show, there's definitely work and video projects that I had pulled together on a hard drive that uh, wound up um, crashing that I should really look at maybe trying to get restored. I mean, it was crashing in a way that I think I need to send it to a lab to be able to try to extract what data they can from it. It had a lot of the masters that I was pulling from my old job on there. But, in any case, 
I know I still wound up throwing this company under the bus a lot in this episode. Um, and being totally honest, the only thing that's different about the way they rejected me than all these other companies that rejected me in the last year is that I had had three interviews with them. Most of these other companies send that lame excuse of a rejection. Let's say, that don't even say we're looking for somebody with different background and qualifications. They just say, thanks, we're moving on with somebody else. And to a degree, I get it. I mean, these companies are getting 500 applications at once for the one or two positions that are open. I don't envy any of these people the challenges they face with um, with looking for talent and and I just really wish that I was able to more securely feel like it isn't indicative of the fact that maybe I don't have the talent that I think I do and that I don't deserve to make money I do feel like I deserve to make money. <laughs> and I know that that sounds kind of arrogant, but I feel like, you know, choosing the wrong partner should not equate to never being able to live as an adult again. And I understand that the onus is on me. I understand it's on my own shoulders to get my life in order. And for what it's worth, I have been working with these freelance clients. So, you know, I was able to at least put together a small book of business and have been working for them steadily for the last three years. And they are all happy with my work. I mean, I told my one colleague <laughs> that I've been getting nothing but rejection letters. And she goes, that's so weird because everybody who knows you loves you. Everybody who I talk to about you, they think you're awesome. Like, that, that, like I feel like they're shocked that it's been so hard for me to find something steady and regular. And, uh, I mean, I hate to say this because I, I worry about how it sounds, but I think that maybe one of the sort of nudges I'm getting from the universe is that I shouldn't be working for somebody like that anymore. I shouldn't be working for a company that I feel like is crushing my soul. And to be honest, when I looked at some of the work that this company I was interviewing with had done, the hat on their webpage, I was kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was sort of like, God, really? <laughs> you know, and um, definitely like very politically correct, some of it, you know, it was sort of like, oh, God. And then during the interview, especially during this third one, the person who I wouldn't have even been reporting to, is showing me some of the work that they're doing. And it was like, honestly, I could have slept, walked, sleepwalked through it. You know, it's, it was so simple compared to the various types of projects I used to do at my old job or so, the, or definitely some of the projects I'm doing now. And so if that's the case, maybe there is something to their telling me there's a disconnect between what I do and what they're looking for. But, what I feel like is the miscommunication or mismatch is that just because what I do is so different than what they need 
I can still do what they need. I can do it in my sleep. I can do it with a hand tied behind my back. That's how sort of straightforward and even by by one of their words, boring it is. And I feel like as much as we're not supposed to, I guess, take this into account when it comes to the working world is... So just because I do more exciting stuff or tend to work on more con, you know, complex things than you're looking at needing somebody to do, I shouldn't be able to earn a living that allows me to put a roof over my head and food in my stomach every day. Like this is where I feel like the humanity is being so lost in the way that the job market is right now. And then all of these things happening at the same time while being in limbo. I mean, it has been a real battle to not let this create a level of doubt that makes me want to stop, to get all the way back to that post that I saw on my friend's page as I sat down to start recording this. Feeling doubt is normal. Allowing it to stop you is a choice. I mean, I did say to myself today, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to play video games for the rest of the day. But then I'm going to sit there deathly afraid of one of my parents walking into the room and seeing me play video games and realize or start to feel that I'm taking advantage of them because I'm not sending out another 20 resumes today and also putting in a few more hours of work for my client. I am going to put in a few more hours of work and I am going to... Um, responds to this one person on LinkedIn who might be able to at least, if not provide me an opportunity, maybe point me towards some opportunities. I'm trying to expand my networking. Um, but I definitely think it might be worth me no longer just talking about it and putting up a, a little bit of money like 50 bucks is all this guy's course said it takes to <clears throat> get some get a video made that you can then put on a channel and try to get some YouTube automation going. Um, you know, I went to all these affiliate marketing courses earlier in the year, and I, I think, you know, there are people who are making that work for them. There are people who are making five figures a month, you know, <laughs> doing that. And... It's like all I need is that one hand-holding, not even hand-holding, like somebody to, to really give you that magic, like this is what you do from this step to this step, and this is when it starts working. The one course I went to, they got you right up to the edge, and then they wanted 2500 bucks. Now maybe, I mean right now I could do that, and maybe if I was doing that again, that course, doing that course over again, and they asked for that, maybe I would be the kind of person who would put the 2500 bucks up because as far as I can tell that is the one place where I stop with all these things this is where as soon as they ask you to invest in yourself now before now you know when I was doing these courses back in January I didn't have it and I would have had to try to call around and beg people put up a GoFundMe maybe and they call that being resourceful. Well, 
I already feel like I've asked for so much and been given so much, and I feel like I have so much to already be thankful for. I cannot bring myself to ask for even more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, it's something to think about, but $50 is not a huge investment. Now that's just for one video. So let's say I was to put aside $200 to put towards that and have four videos made. And that's also including having somebody write the script for these videos, like somebody that you hire off of Fiverr or someplace. Now I could also go to chat GPT and have them write the script and then go through it with a little bit of a fine tooth comb and change a few words here and there to make it sound a little bit more human. That cuts out part of that price point. So maybe that 200 bucks goes a little further than four videos. Either way, Maybe that's what I should be taking from this, is that the reason I'm not getting any of these jobs is because, one, they're all offering what I would sort of condemn them for as a criminally low salary. <laughs> a lot of the jobs I've applied for is for at least 10000 a year less than I was making when I left my company in 2020. So that already says to me that there's a certain amount of the corporate world that doesn't value the skills and the work that I do. So I feel like that is a fact that I would have to be contending with on a lot of levels, no matter where I wind up. So in the grand scheme of things, Maybe I'm supposed to be coming to that realization and maybe that's supposed to motivate me to go back to the, either the affiliate marketing courses I took and actually really put effort into it or try this YouTube automation, which is a little bit more in my wheelhouse than the affiliate marketing was and get that off the ground. Either way, there is a part of me that wants to be able to look at all of these companies and say, I don't need you. I certainly don't need to have to prove to you that I deserve to make a living because you clearly don't think I should be able to with what you're offering for the type of work you're asking for. I mean, especially when you read some of these descriptions, it's not just a video producer or a video editor they want. They want someone who's also going to be managing their social media and sort of quarterbacking their creative and all these things that I'm like, and then you're only offering 50 grand a year. You're only offering 45 grand a year. <laughs> like what world do you live in where that's enough for somebody to survive off of? And the amount of work you're talking about is not going to leave them enough room and latitude to be able to get a second job or to be able to do freelance work on the side, which I'm definitely planning on doing no matter where I wind up working. I'm not going to suddenly turn around and tell my freelance clients that I've been serving for the last three years who've been the only reason I've been able to survive at all. Hey, yeah, I got something new now, so you guys are on your own. Go find somebody else who doesn't know your world and doesn't hasn't built these templates that I'm certainly not going to give them because they're mine because I built them for you. I'm not going to let somebody else just step into my shoes and either bill you for twice as much or bill you for half as much and give you a quarter's worth of the quality. You know, that old adage of you get what you pay for works in every way you can think about. So... I don't know. I'm very disappointed because I'm I'm tired of wondering 
if and how it's going to happen. I know I have to give up trying to have a handle on the how. The how is going to be however it turns out to be. And I have to just forget the idea of if and know that it's just a matter of when. And I want the when to be sooner than later. I want the when to have already happened. I want the when to be tomorrow. (laughs) But that has been a certain level of the new mornings are hard for me is waking up thinking, oh, man, you know, like, look at how hard it is to get up just to go for this walk in the morning. What are you going to feel like when your alarm goes off an hour earlier than now so that you can get in a car and drive to a place full of people that you have to feel like you have to put on that mask for? Because um, it's funny, another one of the shorts I saw last night was of this uh, woman complaining about being let go partially because she wasn't like didn't love her job that she didn't she wasn't falling over backwards with um life affirmament from the job she had that she felt like she was like well what happened to the whole idea of that we we pull up our bootstraps and just kind of get the job done um it's like well yeah there's a lot of that (laughs) but you should at the very least like what you do and, and enough to be able to appreciate the opportunity to do it for somebody and get paid for it. So that's definitely a mask we all have to wear. And that used to be just part of the social contract of being, you know, a working adult, part of the workforce, somebody trying to stand on their own two feet. And so, you know, probably because it's been a while, and especially with the pandemic, uh, where so much has been discovered to be possible to do from home, the idea of going someplace that you're not going to really like has a certain pain to it. And so I haven't seen, I mean, even this one that I'm disappointed about not getting, obviously the sort of, eh, response I had to their work. I mean, it was good work. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like it wasn't technically proficient work, but it was like some of the subject matter. I was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> I've been through that for 16 years. I know what that's like. You might be able to be able to kind of trick yourself into liking it at first, but probably once I was on my feet, I was I was thinking I probably wouldn't wind up staying there very long unless the money was really good. I mean, we never even got to the point where we talked about money. But they're the kind of company that has money, so I'm sure the money would have probably been a lot better than this forty, fifty thousand a year I'm seeing on a lot of these posts and a lot of these uh, positions that are available. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty with the way the world is right now, the way our economy has devolved and all the tensions of the world and the constantly new versions of manufactured controversy that are coming to bear. Um, I don't know. I have a meeting tomorrow, another meeting with that recruiter to kind of go over my resume again. And I'm going to mention this and see what he has to say. And Possibly that it's also where I'm living, whether it's New Jersey or Delaware. 
pretty expensive places. Maybe in another locale, 50000 will be enough to afford a place, you know. We'll see. But, you know, I can feel the sort of American dream slipping away. A lot of the other reason I was thinking about calling this episode Living in Limbo is because by vir- just by virtue of the fact that I spend a lot of time with people who are, you know, 20-something years older than me now, between 20 and 30 years older than me now, especially on the morning walks. I'm walking these five-mile walks with my stepdad and his neighbors and... A lot of them are always talking about their houses and, oh, you know, I have to fix this or, oh, you know, I wonder how much they paid for that or how much did, you know, did it cost to have that part of your porch fixed? And, oh, you know, like the, the landscapers, man, for what we pay and our, and our HOA fees, they should be doing a better job. And I'm thinking to myself, I just hope I get the chance to give a shit about stuff like this (laughs) you know what I mean for as much as I liked renting because a lot of that stuff was all just kind of taken care of for me um the idea of having my own place (laughs) you know I mean even like the smallest house in this development that my parents live in they all like they you know when we walk by and like oh man that place is small I'm like it would be fine for just me but I don't even know what kind of job I would need to get these days to be able to afford that and that is the other thing too you know where the imposter syndrome comes in I mean you see some of these jobs listed for maybe like a level above what I considered myself to be at when I left the corporate world and to see that it's not only just a six-figure job but it's it's like two to three hundred grand a year to be a president or something and um and and i go well am i good enough that i could do that (laughs) you know what do i feel like what what do i need to be able to feel like i am you know it would it be just the affirmation of getting in someplace and kicking ass for the first year or two that i'm there for them to be like oh man you really are good i mean i i can clearly recall Probably because when I first got that job, I mean, I kept it for 16 years. They kept me for 16 years. Clearly, I was good at what I did, good enough that they wanted me around all that time. They didn't, for as much as they didn't do anything to stop me, they definitely said they didn't want me to leave. <laughs> they didn't They didn't try to keep sweeten the deal or anything to keep me. But I remember at, at one point where my boss flat out said to me over lunch, he goes, you know, when you first showed up, I, I was giving you the job because you were being recommended and you were a friend of a friend kind of thing but I didn't think you had it. (laughs) I wasn't sure what this was going to be. He's like, but you clearly have it. You definitely have got it. And I'm like, yeah, uh, thanks, I guess. And I feel like I'm back there again. You know, I feel like these people are looking at me going like, I don't know if this dude has it. I'm like, but you see on my friggin' resume, 16 years someplace. What, you think they kept me there because I didn't have it? (laughs) You know, I just don't. What the fucking fuck is going on here? You know, and I don't know. That's where it's easy to just go for your mind to go like, oh, it's age. They don't want to hire somebody who's old enough to know what they're worth. Um, Or, you know, there's another thing I keep thinking of. I know it's my ex who said it, but there were certain areas where I feel like are a little bit separate from the relationship dynamics where she kind of did know some of what she was talking about. And I know there's a certain thing where if you're okay asking for what they perceive to be less than you should be worth, like if I'm only asking for 75 grand because that's what I was making 
when I left my old job, yet it was a not-for-profit. And if I was at a for-profit, it probably would have been at least 20 to 30 grand more a year that I was getting paid. And I'm still walking around asking for that. That says something to them before they even meet me, that maybe I'm telling them I'm a fraud. (laughs) I'm okay taking a little bit because I know I'm a fraud. You know, a lot of these things, it's like this is this is the psychology of being left in limbo, of having no concrete details or answers or reasons. And it's sort of then and then that is held against you. It's psychological torture. It's not fair. But no one ever said the world is. If there's anything that that my experience in that relationship and in trying to get my life back together has taught me is that no one said life is fair. And for more than you're going to be comfortable accepting than not, it may never be fair. So you got to figure out how to make it work, (laughs) you know, and so that's where I'm at now, you know, Um, There's another area that I've been sort of looking into lately that I'm not going to talk about on the podcast or to too many people. I've mentioned it to a handful, and I'm starting to think maybe that is too many. I almost wonder if the positivity I was feeling after the first two interviews with this job and then telling people, oh, man, yeah, I had these two great interviews, sort of that level of maybe being too presumptive might have contributed to the energy, the tide flowing and changing because they say, you know, one of the areas I've been sort of looking at is the sort of stoicism. And it's like you don't count the chickens before they hatch. You don't tell people things they don't need to know. You don't talk about something until you know it's going to happen. And so maybe that's part of the lesson, too. In any case... This conversation with you guys, one way though it may be, um, definitely has been a little helpful being able to sort of process it out loud. It's frustrating. I keep holding on to this vision of whatever it is, six months from now, a year from now, when I'm no longer in this struggle, when I'm in a new situation where I'm financially free and founded and no longer having to prostrate myself before these invisible judges, most of them relying on AI to scan the resume and using the AI's response as the only thing necessary to uh, judge a candidate's qualities. And I really do hope that for me, it needs to be a position where I finally feel like I've stepped into my skin and comfort with the authority to be able to tell some of these companies, you know what, I don't need you. I especially look forward to, and I know this is the immature side of it, but I would love for any one of these, like let's say I had published a novel or let's say I had uh, created a successful YouTube channel and I was pulling in six figures you know, uh, and I was able to make a living doing something a lot more along the lines of what I love and I'm comfortable and having a, uh, 
some sense of fulfillment from doing and them approaching me to be like, Oh, we'd love for you to manage our social media. And I go, what's your company called? And I look through my rejection emails go, you mean this company that rejected me that didn't even give me a chance. You want me to come work for you now, or you want, you want to hire me as a consultant now. All right. It's going to be a million dollars. I mean, Oh, that's too much. Well, you know what? You are hypocrites. So I don't, I usually don't work with hypocrites without hitting them with a hypocrisy fee. All right. In a world where we're taxed from the second a dollar is generated and we're lucky if we can wind up getting to keep a quarter, uh, there's no way I'm going to forget that you left me out in the cold and yet here I am now. And for some reason, you now that you've actually looked at what I do and who I am and what I'm capable of now, all of a sudden you're you're coming to me. All right. Well, million bucks that's the that's the floor price depending on how egregious the situation was like if this company that just rejected me ever for any reason came to me or or came crawling (laughs) and said you know what dude we realized we passed on something good be like well yeah (laughs) Uh, salary is gonna be half a mil (laughs) just to do video production (laughs) i'm sorry you guys uh you guys, like you said, you missed out. In any case, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being on this journey. I am. I apologize for how dark it's gotten lately. I think there's something with the approaching holidays that is making the reality of these uh, struggles hit a little bit harder. And I definitely was planning to be um, trying to be a little bit more upbeat as we go into the holiday season because... It's the time of miracles, right? You know, Hans and Die Hard. It's Christmas. This is a time of miracles, you know, even for those of us who don't celebrate Christmas. I always used to think there's sort of this this magic in the air at this time of year. People just feel like they're a little bit happier. But anyone who's in this struggle, who isn't able to buy their kids presents or buy their family presents or show their family the type of appreciation around the holidays that they I used to have the ability to like when I when I was still making a salary. I mean, this is kind of a little bit backfired in some ways, but I was spoiling the hell out of my nephews and my niece. I mean, they loved whatever Uncle Dave showed up with for Christmas, you know, and my brother-in-laws, you know, everybody, you know, I, I tried to go and especially my significant others, you know, my girlfriends, I always really went a little overboard at Christmas time. Um, and it, it's especially painful for me now that I have to temper that, um, instinct all with a mind to, there will be a time that this is different. I am going to figure this out. And then when I do, it's going to be like, I will make up for the years that were dark. I will make up for the years that were weak and um, and that's just because I want to. It's not like I feel I'm obligated to. That was a part. Gift giving is one of my love languages, uh, according to the test I took in that book. And so that's another area where when I think about this sort of betrayal factor that came along with the way things unfolded in this last relationship... 
I guess if there's anything I'm hoping people really take away from this is like, be careful. I really wish I had paid more attention when my therapist that I've been seeing for a decade said 95% of the happiness you're going to get in this life is from who you choose to share your life with. 95% of your happiness or your, um, what word did she use? It was your happiness or your misery. And so, you know, when we think, when we're in the throes of the infatuation, when we're in that sort of honeymoon phase and we're being love-bombed, it's really very self-focused. You just think about the, the feeling of being with that person and how you don't want that to ever end. The limerence, the limerence that you're addicted to is so, it's like worse than heroin, right? And... To think that not keeping the perspective that it could lead to this, sitting in a closet because you're ashamed of having your parents hearing you mentally process out loud the latest developments in a story that you're not thrilled with living through right now, and that ultimately it crosses over into being hamstrung in your natural instincts to want to celebrate the holidays by giving people gifts. Not only, not only, I mean, not that I need to give expensive gifts, but I always gave gifts that felt like they would have meaning, not only because of something about them being aligned with what I know about the people, but the fact that I gave it to them as a means of saying, I see you. I see who you are. I pick up on this from you. And for that reason, I felt like this would be a perfect gift that you might not even pick for yourself. I mean, I... One of the things that was sort of supposed to be a happy memory from that relationship was that we went to Disney World when I was still operating off of the pile of cash that resulted from cashing out my 401k and paying off my credit cards and putting half of what was left over into a new IRA. I was then left with, I don't know, almost 50 grand to just kind of live off of for the next couple of years while I tried to get my freelance business to a point where it was bringing in enough money for me to not only sustain myself, but contribute to the life I was trying to build with this person. And we went to Disney World because I wanted to go on vacation and I wanted to take her on vacation and I wanted to take her on vacation. Like I paid for the flights. I paid for the hotel. I paid for all the meals. She paid for drinks. She paid for a few things here and there. Because she wanted to, because she felt so moved by the fact that I was taking care of her. Because one of the things that she told me about what was so unhappy about her life was that she was the breadwinner and that her ex-husband only made at most maybe $35,000 a year while she was making a six-figure salary. And so any and everything they did that was elaborate or that was fun she was the one who had to foot the bill for, even if he was the one making the arrangements. So I'm hearing this story and going, man, that's that sucks that you were really being taken advantage of like that. And so I wanted to go to Disney World. 
and take her to Disney World so that she could just have a good time. And even though it was this awesome thing, there were some pretty epic fights that happened while we were there. And during one of them, she even said to me, you should not be with me. You should be with somebody who wouldn't behave the way I'm behaving right now on a vacation that you took them on to, to finally do something nice for them. And it's such a bittersweet memory for me because I feel like I should have listened to her saying that. But this ultimately leads to that one of the things that was new about Disney World at that time is that they had just opened the Star Wars area of the park and they had just created the Rise of the Resistance ride and we definitely got on to that, which was awesome. It's not a given that everybody who showed up got to get on that ride. That was the uh, virtual lottery for tickets time. But I said one of the things I definitely wanted to do that I knew all of my nephews would like, my, ne my niece and my nephews at the time would love is I wanted to go to Galaxy's Edge and get them all customized lightsabers built for them. And uh, when we got back from Florida and I was getting ready to wrap them all up, I felt like, you know, these are cool, but they need something else. And so I took um, computer paper and I, I mean, I wrote them each at the time, I had three nephews and a niece. We now have a fifth one that I, at some point I'm going to have to do this for. But I, for each of them, wrote this basically like a Jedi legend of who they are and when they were born and what makes them special. And then I stained them. I soaked them in very strong tea and then I burnt the edges and basically made these ancient scrolls that then I wrapped up and I wrapped them in wax paper and I and I rolled them up and they got their lightsaber and a scroll that kind of gave their history. Two of my nephews, I don't think they even know where those are, uh, but my niece and my nephew, my youngest sister's kids, I was just visiting them last week and they made sure they were like, oh, Uncle Dave, look at this. And they pulled them out. And I was... I was even taken aback. Like, I had to sit down and hold one of them and look, read it and go, oh, my God. Not only was this cool, but it still does look like this ancient document. <laughs> you know what I mean? That had been, that has survived the, the sands of time to get here. And I made these in the midst of a period where, like, she refused to come to Christmas so I wound up going over to celebrate Christmas by myself. And she was in a deep sort of depressive period at this time as the holidays approached where I was the one who wound up putting up the lights and the, and the, the sort of decorations and the tree and all this stuff. And I remember at the time I didn't mind it so much, but when I think about it now, it's like, I'm glad that at least the part of me that felt like it was such an important and monumental thing to be able to do the presents the right way for my nephews and my niece that I still did. And, and I feel like I'm so far away from being able to do that right now. It really hurts. And I really, um, I'm struggling and I'm really putting my mind towards 
trying to bring forth and manifest the reality that this is the last holiday season that's going to be like this. Because I want to be back to that. I want to be able to surprise people and, and do things that I feel like are really nice just because I want to do them. Because I think those are the things that are not only because of what the gifts are, but just because of the feeling of specialness when they open that gift, knowing that I, I understand them because I love them, because of how, how special everybody in my life is to me. And it's like a real struggle to know that I can't give my parents what I want to give them this year or anything that would even be close to, to enough to show how much I appreciate what they've done for me. That's really hard. And so I know I'm not alone in having that phenomenon about the holiday season and being able to do as much as we wish we could and um, for anybody who's going through that, I just want you to, under to know I, I see you and I understand. And I'm with you. Thank you for being with me. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes. 